0: Lift
1: off of the the Hi, I'm Marc Boucher. Today on SpaceQ, I'll be talking with Stephane Germain, CEO of GHGSat. GHGSat is an early-stage company based in Montreal looking to become the global reference for remote sensing of greenhouse and air quality gas emissions from industrial sites. To accomplish their goal, GHG Sat is using their patented technology in a sensor placed on a small satellite. Their first satellite, a demonstration satellite called Claire, has just completed its first year in orbit, proving out the technology, though there were some issues. Though the issues are being addressed, according to Germain, with design changes to be implemented in the next two satellites. Those satellites are planned for launch in the coming two years as part of a planned small satellite constellation. As the only commercial company in the segment with a satellite on orbit, GHG Sat has an advantage on its competitors—an advantage it intends to capitalize on. Welcome, Stefan, to the SpaceQ podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. So, before we discuss your company, which is the focus of this interview, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about serving on the Space Advisory Board. What's your experience been like to date?
0: It's been a humbling experience to listen to comments from people passionate about space from coast to coast, and then to read hundreds of submissions via social media and email. Uh, It's it's also been quite a challenge to distill that into a few brief messages as advice to the minister. I, I think we've served the space community and the minister well, and we're certainly eager for the work to turn to action.
1: Okay, so we won't uh, delve into this Space Advisory Board because, uh, report because I've covered that and it's in one of the podcasts as well. So what I really want to talk about is your company because um, uh, it's a early stage company uh, created in 2011. Um, how did you come up with the idea of starting GHGSat?
0: Around right about two thousand and ten, the Quebec government announced a cap and trade scheme for essentially putting a value in a ton of carbon emissions and that was relatively new to me. It turns out there were a whole bunch of people in Europe that had already been doing this for a long time and in other jurisdictions like California and Ontario now we're also thinking about it long and hard. but for me that was uh, it was a bit of an epiphany it was new. so when I realized this valued a ton of carbon it, I realized then that people would want to better understand their emissions to be able to control their emissions and ultimately reduce them because at the end of the day, it's worth money. It's financial risk. That means individual emitters, industrial emitters would want to control that financial risk in their emissions. So since most of the emissions are currently estimated and they tend to be overestimated, there's an increasing need for measurement In order to better manage that financial risk. And that's how we got into it. And there's a
1: big long story after that, but that's the. the, Well, we're going to talk a bit about that story because uh, we have to go from point A to point B as to where you're at now. But uh, obviously, along the way, you developed uh, some sensors, uh, which you then put onto a small satellite, which you then launched. And I will get into some of that in a second, but I want to talk about. Sensors on, and your first satellite was called Claire. And remind me again, why is, it, why is it called Claire? Well, the short version of the story is we love the
0: idea of naming the satellite and future satellites after the names of our kids. Oh, okay. And it yeah, just yeah. so happened that uh, the lead systems person on our team here had a daughter, and her name was Claire. And we love that name, uh, both because it's a pretty name, for, and, and on top of that, because it um, Connotes transparency, clarity, the kind of things you'd like to talk about when you're looking at greenhouse gas emissions and trying to make that information available transparently to the world.
1: All right. So, that's very good to know. So, I know I now know sort of what the next satellites or the next two are going to be named. <laughs> <laughs> at least I know where the, the, the names are going to come from. So, tell me about um, the sensors on Claire, which makes that satellite unique. So we've developed um, and patented a a
0: design uh, for a spectrometer that will measure the spectral fingerprint of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. We're specifically looking at carbon dioxide and methane, and we've managed to make that spectrometer very small and lightweight to the point where it can fit on a nanosatellite. And that combination of a highly sensitive spectrometer that can measure trace gases in the atmosphere on a very small platform is what allows us to offer that as a service to individual industrial emitters.
1: So that was developed in-house?
0: Actually no, it was developed um, with MPB communications in working with the Canadian Space Agency through the mid-2000s. At least the, the precursor to the instrument was developed in that time frame. It was developed, okay. And uh, what happened is that uh, when we realized that we had a business case for commercializing this technology, um, we got together with MPB, looked at various business models, and ultimately decided that uh, Xiphos, which is Sat's parent company, uh, would take the risk and therefore uh, would effectively lead the business. And that's how things have evolved. The new instrument uh, was was. An evolution of what we did for the Canadian Space Agency and ultimately wound up being an entirely new intellectual property. And therefore, that is what allowed GHG to then stand on its own two feet and grow as a business using its own spectrometer.
1: Are there any other sensors on board that uh, that you use? There are.
0: Um, well, there's really only two. There's the primary instrument, which is the spectrometer, right. and the second one is uh, an off the shelf spectrometer for looking in the visual range um, to complement what we're measuring on the, in this shortwave infrared with the primary instrument.
1: Okay. So, what types of greenhouse and air quality gas sources do you track? So the primary markets that we're
0: targeting are oil and gas, and that, that's pretty broad. It can be everything from the oil sands to um, refineries, wells, um, gas gathering plants, so a whole bunch of things in oil and gas. second target market is power generation, uh, so thermal generating stations that emit CO2, or um, another one that's not as well understood is uh, greenhouse gas emissions from hydroelectric facilities, for example third market we're targeting is coal mining. Uh, so it turns out when you mine coal, whether it be underground or on the surface, the, the uh, coal seams will emit methane, which is the second most important greenhouse gas. Uh, next market for us is agriculture. So it turns out when you stick 10,000 cattle in a one square kilometer enclosure. They tend to emit a lot of methane, right. and there are ways you can actually mitigate that. You can manage the amount of methane that's emitted by varying feed and or uh, even timing and cycling of when the the, the the feed is provided. And the final market is uh, waste management, so landfills and wastewater. Again, those are both significant sources of methane.
1: So, uh, I mean. So you're uh, commercializing this, but the actual um, uh, measurements from space from sensors for greenhouse gases and other uh, gases has been something that governments have been doing, including NASA, with uh, the Orbiting uh, Carbon Observatory 2, which was launched in 2014. So what's the difference, I mean, other than you're commercializing, but what's the difference in terms of what they collect and what you collect? So, NASA, uh, the European Space Agency,
0: the the JAXA, the Japanese, um, have all built absolutely exquisite instruments for measuring with extremely high precision the background concentrations of methane across the globe. And uh, we don't in any way compete with that. Uh, Their objective is really to inform climate change models. What we did and what we're doing is measuring emissions from individual facilities. So we deliberately designed our system not to measure, measure the whole planet all the time, but to measure specific places, industrial sites around the globe. Um, and then measure those with a very high spatial resolution so we can actually see emissions
1: from individual sites. So it's a different design for a different purpose. And um, how big is, is that market, do you think?
0: Very large. So, the the underlying market that we're serving, if we go back to that concept of value for a ton of carbon emissions, the World Bank estimates that that's worth $50 billion today, and it's growing significantly with the advent of cap and trade in China, for example. That market's going to grow about 20%. So, that's the underlying markets and people who want to have better data about their emissions. The direct market for satellite measurements. We believe is well north of a billion dollars and, and probably well, several billion dollars and on an annual basis. on an annual basis and there are many different ways to serve that right now primarily from terrestrial equipment uh, and we are the first to offer a solution to be measured, measuring these emissions by satellite
1: now there must be other people who are saying other companies are saying I want in on this um, I think I've heard about Bluefield um, who else and, and are there a lot of competitors trying to get into this space?
0: There are definitely lots of people interested in it. Um, I'd rather not name names, but suffice sure. it to say that uh, I'm aware of at least half a dozen companies that are thinking about it. Right. Now, actually doing it is a very different thing. And so... So
1: nobody else has a satellite up there other than yourself.
0: Uh, today doing this and for the foreseeable future, which could be the next... Three years, let's say, absolutely nobody on the radar. There's nobody they will have one up in that time frame. Um, so now well, is the time to seize the market. Which is what we're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I, I would encourage competition. I, I think it'd be actually healthy for everyone if there's more than one source of data down the road, but they better work fast because I intend to gobble up as much of the market as I can in the meantime.
1: So uh, now let's get back to Claire. So Claire was a demonstration satellite. Correct. Um, and as any demo will have happen there are always issues absolutely okay so let's talk about uh, some of the issues and how you're because and I should tell our audience that from my understanding your plan is to launch two more satellites within the next year or so the next two years correct. within the next year two years two more satellites and they're going to be the same size about the same size yeah a little bit bigger maybe or uh, very very similar very similar so obviously you want to take the lessons learned from and the issues that you've had with this satellite into that. So what are some of the issues uh, that you've had and how are you and how are you addressing them and can you address all of them?
0: So we are really at the cutting edge of this area of science, measuring from a satellite with high spatial resolution and also with sufficient uh, sensitivity that you can measure relatively small sources is really brand new territory. So we learned a lot and we continue to learn a lot. The kind of things that we're addressing, have to do uh, primarily with the uh, system and the payload design, system meaning how we interpret the payload, the data generated by the payload and how we post-process that data. So um, let, let's take a couple of examples that are uh, have been lessons that have been learned over and over again. And unfortunately, we learned some of them again as well. Uh, radiation damage. So we have on Claire, a certain amount of shielding around our detector and it turns out we should have put more. And that's pretty significant when it comes to uh, having high quality data coming from your detector that you can then do spectroscopy with. So that's a relatively simple thing, but not conceptually simple, but as a solution not necessarily as simple as you might think, particularly because you don't have that many resources mass or volume on a nanosatellite on a small satellite yeah that's right so um, another example is of with regards to stray light so stray light is is light coming into your field of view that you wouldn't necessarily want you didn't expect to have you weren't planning to have so like any optical system there will be some it's impossible to be completely free of stray light Um, even huge missions like hubble space telescope have had issues with stray light so on the next satellite we've Done a a lot of work on root cause root cause analysis to where some of that light was coming from, and are working really hard to mitigate it. So those two things alone are probably the biggest contributors to um,
1: improving the performance of the next two satellites. And. But even with having some issues, you have been able to get good
0: data. We have. And we actually published uh, an example of that. We made one public in May, Mm -hmm. which is uh, methane emission from a hydroelectric power facility in Cameroon, which for us was a great example of indisputable proof of the performance of the system. So we're really excited to share that. There are others uh, that are with individual customers, but uh, for us, it's, it's it's an exciting beginning. We see great potential to improve the performance significantly, and to also look at different gases down the road uh, in addition to air quality, uh, in addition to greenhouse-like air quality gases.
1: So you have a customer base now. We do, and it's growing. It is. Uh, I, you don't have to tell me who the customers are, but uh, can you give me a rough idea of how many? We're in the dozens, so okay.
0: it's it's quite a range, we, but given the customer segments I described to you before, right? we have everything from large oil and gas companies, who by the way, have been
1: absolutely amazing. In- yeah, so I was going to ask you about that, because um, you were involved in the Canadian Oil Sands and Innovation Alliance, you worked with them. That's right. So, tell me about that, because that sounds fascinating. So, uh,
0: Cosia Canada's Oil Science Innovation Alliance, is a a group of um, uh, large oil and gas producers that have gotten together to pool their R&D dollars to evaluate new technologies. And early on, they um, liked the idea of what we're proposing with measurements from a satellite, in particular for greenhouse gas emissions from the tailings ponds. And so we've embarked with them on a two-year project to measure emissions from targeted ponds in the oil sands and demonstrate to them what the satellite can do. They have been great because not only um, are they being very proactive in assessing new technologies like satellite measurement of their ponds, but they're also going the extra mile in helping us in the verification and validation of the system uh, by setting up controlled experiments and providing equivalent ground truth for what we need to be able to measure from the satellite versus what's on the ground. So for us, it's been a fantastic relationship. Um,
1: they've, they've Were you paid to be a part of that, or is this uh The two of you work, your organization and them working together?
0: It started as a collaboration, an unpaid collaboration, and then down the road, uh, it turned into a paid contract. So we are under contract in what's called a a joint industry project with the uh, greenhouse gas
1: uh, environmental area within CoSIA. And, of course, the members of the alliance... Obviously, or on an individual basis, I suppose, you're hoping to get them as customers as you go forward, right? That's right. And not just the new oil stands, because many
0: of them have operations around the world.
1: Okay. so. Um to get from point A to point B, where we are today, you said that GHGsat is uh, a sibling of uh, Zyphos uh, In terms of investment, um, did you did Ziphos fund this in part, uh, and and of course you also did receive uh, some government uh, contracts, right? That's right. So
0: the way, the way this started was uh, it, we had the epiphany, the, the the idea of how we could make a business with this, and we went to speak to literally over 100 customers to verify that we actually had a business case. Then we uh, looked at the technology really hard to make sure that we had a solution that could serve what the customers were asking for. And finally, we went looking to, for financing, so to answer your question. Um, the first group to step up was Sustainable Development Technology Canada. They have a tech fund for encouraging clean tech innovation and uh, we as a monitoring technology for greenhouse gases fit exactly in their mandate. So they provided uh, several million dollars worth of uh, contribution to the cost of Claire, our demonstration satellite and the demonstration and operation of Claire in orbit. That was complemented by uh, Boeing. Boeing contributed as well to the development of Claire. They've been on board from the beginning. And uh, we, some of our partners um, were very aggressive in their pricing to us. In other words, they did not necessarily recoup their full costs in order to have opportunities on future projects and future launches. And finally, yes, we put in some a significant amount of our own money. So rounding all that out together was how we pulled together the financing for the first satellite.
1: Now, if I remember correctly, earlier this year, um uh the so you, you said the next two satellites would go up in the next two years, mm-hmm. but I think earlier this year it was going to be twenty eighteen. So maybe push back a bit. Is that to incorporate new design changes into the satellite or
0: we're still roughly in the same timing as when we Are originally you? anticipated. I mean, if anything it's maybe a three to six month slip versus the original schedule. And you know, like it or not, that's typical of launch slips.
1: Fully funded? Yes. Fully funded. All right. So they're gonna and now if I remember correctly. Those two are being built in Canada by the Space Flight Lab? That's correct. So, the University of Toronto, the Space Flight Lab has been fantastic. They have
0: um, provided not just the bus, but the integration capability for the payload with the bus. And then the launch support, they were a broker in getting the satellite launch broker as well. Okay, That's right, for PSLV. And then uh, they've also provided operational support and I continue to be very impressed with the team at SFL. I think they've got a a deep team for both the design and the operation of their satellites and, and supporting us and what we need to do as a business. Now, as far as mission control, is that here? So, in the sort of classic parlance, the satellite control is actually at the University of Toronto, but the payload control is here. here. Now, since the whole satellite is slaved to the payload, in effect, you know, we're controlling the whole mission out of here because we determine here which sites we're going to look at every day, and then we post-process all the all the data from it here as well.
1: So, this is truly a, a Canadian. Uh, venture from payload to satellite development, of course, not launch. but uh, And I think that would make it the only upcoming constellation to be that way in Canada. So Uh,
0: we were really lucky to be able to work with people close to home
1: for the first satellite
0: and for Claire. And we're very happy with the team we have. Uh, The next satellite is being built by the exact same team. So that, that's testament to the fact we're happy with the first one. Uh, and thereafter, we want to stay within Canada. I mean, at some point, we're going to have to look at uh, market forces here. The, are there opportunities for us to get, for a larger number of satellites, different types of uh, opportunities with different
1: types of vendors? But for now, we're very happy with the team we have. So, uh, and that brings up a good point. Um, the f- You have the two, the one up in orbit now, then you have the two that are upcoming, and then if I remember correctly, you had said uh, in an email exchange we had that we're looking at about 20 in total. We're hoping to get to 20, yes. Hoping to get to 20. So those, um, and is that um, 2 plus 18 or 3 plus 17?
0: Oh, well, it's not going to be quite that simple because there's going to be attrition there throughout the
1: years as well. So it's over what period of time are we talking about?
0: Well, within five years, we expect to be over 10 Okay. Right, And then to get to 20, it'll probably be closer to 10 years. Because for us, um, which is an important point for our business, we don't need the constellation. We don't need a critical mass in order to offer the service. That's right. We can offer service with a single satellite. What more satellites give us is more capacity. And for some customer segments, higher revisits. That's Right. right. So we're happy to add those on as the demand is there and as we can do
1: it profitably okay and of course uh, as you just said you'll take a look and see if it's the ability to actually have that done built in Canada we'd love to do that absolutely it's there's there's plenty of world-class suppliers here
0: and we'd like to work with them
1: yeah uh, I a couple of years ago I was on a the colloquium in Scotland uh, between Canada and Scotland and I had a tour of um, Clyde, yes, Clyde, yeah. yeah, great guys, and and uh, their assembly line. I was one of the, the only a small group that was allowed to go into the uh, the clean room where they were uh, assembling the like in a, like a factory line the satellites, and uh, that was. Uh, Quite impressive, and they were telling us that they were moving to another space because just t- more orders coming in; they didn't have enough space. We don't have that in Canada at this point. Well, uh, I mean, I, I think SFL actually
0: uh, don't get as much credit as, as they deserve. They've they've got that capability, and more importantly, they have they they target a niche where well, they, they can address a niche which is beyond just cube
1: and that's really not- important for us. But they're not building, you're right, but they're, they don't have the type of assembly line that's churning out 100 a year or 200 a year. Not yet, but not they've yet. got a pretty exquisite facility there. That I'm They do sure have a good facility. A yes. All right. So, going back to Claire for a second, and we talked, you mentioned attrition. Um, it's been up for just over a year now. What's its lifespan? How much longer will it uh, be able to operate?
0: Well, (laughs) that's a great question. I think, uh, like any satellite system, right, you you bank on a, a minimum. And for us, the minimum for the demonstration was it had to at least be a year. And we've fortunately crossed that mark now and collected a whole lot of data that we can, no matter what happens now, we've got a good foundation on which to build. But obviously, we want to keep working with the satellite, and we're pretty confident it'll last at least to three years based on what we've seen now. Three years, okay. Yep. And then beyond that, uh, it's gravy. If, I mean, if we can get out to five years, uh, it really, it's going to depend on, on the things I just described earlier on, of some of the issues and radiation damage in particular, because that's it's not a one-time thing. It's so it's a, in a high, it's a
1: high enough orbit right now. What's the orbit? It's
0: about 500 kilometers. Okay. So oh yeah, it, it, the the orbital decay is projected to be, you know, sometime in the 10 to 20 years before okay, so you're, it's you're deorbited. And you have a
1: deorbit plan? We do. Okay, that's good. I think you had to, right? We have to as a condition yeah, of our licenses. Yeah. Right. I was going to say, actually, speaking of. Life, Licenses—it's a question I was going to get to, but I'll, I'll bring it up right now. Which is, have you run into any regulatory issues in Canada?
0: We've actually been really fortunate that way. Uh, I, I sound like I'm glowing about everybody, but, it, but believe it or not, it, it, you know, you hear horror stories from uh, some people, pr- primarily out of the U.S., who seem to have trouble in northern Canada, for example. But for us, it has been actually a very uh, smooth process. Uh, both for spectrum licensing and for s- licensing of the remote s- sensing system, the satellite itself. Um, it Just don't sh- go for a ground station
1: Well, <laughs>
0: <in> Canada. <laughs> we, we, we ask our partners to deal with the ground stations. Yeah. Actually, for what it's worth, the ground station as well has been relatively smooth, including the exact same place that that not-to-name party is having issues with right now in oh. Northern Canada. So we expect to be opening our ground station there in the fall. But at their facility? It's in the same area. It's not the same oh, you're,
1: facility. Oh, you're at the government facility. No comment. <laughs> well, there's only two facilities, unless <laughs> there's a, a top secret third one that hasn't been built yet. <laughs> and you've now thrown me off. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, but, but it's usually
0: but, the other way around. Back to licensing, frankly, it's, it's, for us, been a relatively smooth process. Of course, there's been a fair amount of due diligence. There's a lot of questions, and uh, you have to go through all that. But that's normal. I mean, they, they are there making sure that there's appropriate licenses.
1: Okay, so um, I noticed in some of the contracts that you received, government contracts, there were some from DD. Yes. Tell me about that.
0: Um, so the idea here is that we built a spectrometer that can measure trace gases in the atmosphere. We've targeted greenhouse gases because there is a value to a ton of carbon and therefore you, you can commercialize something where people attribute uh, financial risk to, to what they're emitting. Um, there's adjacent markets as well. So uh, I mentioned one earlier, which is air quality. So think gases that are bad for human health, like sulfur dioxide and so on. Um, we can also target those. It turns out that if you have a spectrometer that can measure trace gases, you might also be able to measure gases that are, that are of interest to people like d and And so we've been working with them to uh, explore what other gases the system might be able to measure. That's that's the interest, and so far, it's been a great collaboration. And it's still going forward? It is. Okay, so another market for you. It's, uh, it's it's a very interesting one because we can't really know what's going on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you can't talk about it. Um, but uh, out of curiosity, so if you're talking about uh, d Department of National Defense in Canada, is it something that, since you're a commercial company, and I'm not sure what the reg- regulations are uh, about this, what if uh, another nation came to you, military, and said, we'd like to get buy this data from you? Is that something that, from a regulatory perspective, perspective you could
0: do? Well,
1: obviously, we have to tread carefully there.
0: Um, yeah. As far as our license goes, uh, it, it's just common sense. The We separate the satellite and the technology around the satellite from the product of the satellite which is the data and so the data itself we have a lot more liberties around Uh, the satellite was until recently a controlled good so obviously that's export controlled but even as that regime has relaxed the the controlled goods or what's considered controlled within a satellite is relaxed, there are still elements of our satellite that remain controlled. So the technology itself is never going to be exported to um, beyond what export controls will allow us to do, which is obviously therefore very limited.
1: But the data we have more liberties with. So speaking of the data, um, are there any plans on uh, making a, any putting any of the data in the public domain at some point, and uh, maybe also making available an API so that others can work with you on it and maybe come up with products that you never even thought of? Absolutely. So making more data
0: public is um, a little sensitive. We, For now, we are making a few data sets available. So for example, the one of the hydropower project that we made public in May, the whole data set is actually available. We will provide that free of charge, under a a blanket license, basically so people can use it how they want. Um, And it's available now. And we intend to make a few more data sets available like that so people can taste and feel and try. Along the same lines, we absolutely are working on an API. We already have an electronic interface for our customers. Uh, It is meant more for um, sort of corporate and government type customers. But an API to third party developers is also in the works. And uh, as, we, uh, as we get more and more volume of data v- available for that API, it's, we expect that to
1: turn into an interesting source of revenue for us as well. Okay, and uh, speaking of data, um, a lot of companies are having to deal with lots of data. Yes. And you're gonna be getting more and more data. Uh, you have a plan in place to be able to go through the terabytes so for us, it's actually not as bad
0: as what other people are facing. When you look to these constellations that are generating just huge amounts of data because they're hoovering up the entire surface of the earth all the time, they have real challenges with big data and algorithms for parsing through their big data. In our case, we're making targeted measurements of known sites. So the volume of data is a lot less. Nevertheless. We absolutely have uh, change detection algorithms for things like looking for leaks in recurring measurements of the same sites. We have algorithms for uh, things that are very particular to greenhouse gases. So we're measuring concentrations in the atmosphere, but people often want emission rates. So how do you translate concentrations into emission rates? So we have what are called inverse dispersion algorithms for doing that. So for us, um, we absolutely are developing these value-added services, these additional algorithms around our data, and we're encouraging resellers internationally and domestically to work with our data to generate their own algorithms.
1: All right. Um, With the recent change in policy towards global warming and climate change in the U.S., does this present a problem or an opportunity for you? Ironically, it's an opportunity. Because the rules
0: that were being put in place by the EPA for oil and gas, for example, were very prescriptive and extremely expensive because they required monitoring at a level that pretty much made the only possible solution a handheld camera being walked around by crew on the ground. What the oil and gas companies have done is is explained to the EPA the cost of that and why Uh, there might be a better method. There's there's an 80-20 rule here where the vast majority of the volume of methane leaked in the U.S., for example, comes from a very small number of facilities. The problem is finding those facilities. So we, as a satellite system, can actually find those large emitters much more efficiently than a crew running around 1.4 million oil wells in the United States. So in a really twisted way, it has turned into an opportunity because the oil and gas companies have been able to negotiate a bit with the EPA to come up with a more reasonable regulatory regime.
1: Um, we we spoke about D&D. Um, recently, there was a press release that uh, MDA put out uh, about a new hyperspectral deal that they're a part of. Uh, and this was with the uh, Defense, Re- uh, Defense Research and Development uh, Canada. Are you part of that uh, project?
0: We are not. Um, and this speaks to, it kind of gets down into the weeds a little bit here. But Not all hyperspectral is made the same way they are created equal. (laughs) So there's all kinds of opportunities for hyperspectral that um, is designed to measure the properties of the surface of the earth in different wavelengths. That, in my understanding, is that's the primary uh, target or the goal or the obje- the objective of the kind of system that MDA is working on, or at least that's what it was when it was in the domain of the Canadian Space Agency. When it comes to gases, it's it's a different challenge. It's still, strictly speaking, hyperspectral, but it's uh, with different parameters, a much higher spectral resolution resolution probably much narrower passbands in order to look at specific gases and so on. So they're both parts of the same market, but I think we're addressing different areas. Okay.
1: So my last question is a fun one, at least I think so. One of my guests on a podcast that's going to be airing in in the future really turned the question around on me, which took me by surprise, but Star Trek or Star Wars?
0: Well, I'd probably go with Star Trek, the original. Uh, To me, I I love them both, and uh, I think they've both been good influences on me, but uh, the first one is the one that
1: stuck with me most deeply. And as I always say when somebody says that, right answer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'd like to thank uh, Stefan for being my guest on the Space Cube podcast. I hope you'll consider being a guest on a future show. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the SpaceQ Podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode you can also find spaceq on twitter at Canada in space and we post all our articles and podcasts to facebook at the spaceq and don't forget to like us on facebook i'm also on linkedin at mark k boucher and if we're connected you'll get spaceq articles and the podcast notification in your newsfeed. if you like the show please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider rating the show and writing review if you're so inclined.